Welcome to the PWE and Me podcast, a place where we talk about the workplace, how it's changing, and ways that we can create an experience at work that is inspiring, real, and motivates us to bring our best self to work. PWE, what is it? Well, it's an acronym for Purposeful Workplace Experience. I'm on a mission to help our workplaces shift from being transactional to transformational, and PWE is how we will get there. My name is Carolyn Suara, your host and creator of PWE. I'm super excited to be bringing you another episode of PWE and Me today, and my guest is from St. Louis. I'm so pleased to be welcoming Erin Dimmick from the Barry Waymiller Leadership Institute. Welcome, Erin. Thank you so much, Carolyn. It's awesome to be with you uh, this afternoon. So looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, now I know, Erin, we, we connected on LinkedIn, uh, and, and part of the reason I had reached out to you was uh, I'm just so fascinated by the work, uh, the culture work, and the environment, and everything that Barry Waymiller does to create a purposeful workplace experience, a PWE. Um, and, and that's what originally connected us together and, uh, and, and all the work that you're doing with the, the Leadership Institute. Um, maybe you could share a little bit with the listeners uh, about, about the, the Leadership Institute and all the great work that you're doing there. Absolutely. Thank you so much for asking, Carolyn. The Institute is getting ready to celebrate its fourth birthday. Uh, and it was actually born out of Barry Way Miller Manufacturing Company. And uh, the, the real reason for the Institute is to share all of the learnings that have taken place internal to Barry Waymiller over about the last 14, 15 years, given the acquisitions, or we refer to them as adoptions, of other organizations that have really thirsted for cultural transformation. And so the Leadership Institute was created to share the learnings of the truly human leadership experience, a centric focus to cultural transformation, how we can get to know each other a, a, a whole lot better, deepen relationships, listen to each other as a form of caring, to be able to figure out what conversations we need to have in order to remove the barriers that are impediments to us working together as better as a team and performing better. So the Institute was created to share those learnings with external entities, external clients, organizations that are having perhaps similar struggles and would like to embark on that cultural transformation journey. And I mean, I mean, Barry Waymiller is just an absolute amazing story uh, of how you've taken this uh, this human first approach to, you know, like a, a manufacturing business, right? Which we don't always associate. I mean, you think of manufacturing, it's productivity, it's machines, and you know. Yeah. I, what comes to mind is a very, like, um, I guess, robotic hierarchical culture. And, and I'm just so fascinated by the power of humanity that Barry Wimmler has been able to tap into. Yeah, very much so. There are so many stories that, that can be told and have been told, even, even at the very personal human level, for folks that felt somewhat uh, neglected in the workplace, on the assembly line, some of the uh, engineers and maintenance folks that have worked on the assembly lines that have really uh, felt undervalued and forgotten about because they just do whatever it is they do every day and no one really pays attention to them. Uh, what happened really was just a level of awareness for figuring out how, how can we address that so someone falling asleep on their machine or looking like there's some downtime and they just lay their head down on a machine uh, and it looks like they've checked out. And when you make your rounds, you're like, wow, that's a lazy worker or uh, I wonder what's going on in their world. They must be pretty bored to actually figuring out a way. How can you enter into a conversation with that person, understand where their frustrations are, what their life looks like? 
and then giving them the opportunity to have an influence, have a say in what it is they do and empowering them to do that, resourcing them to do that and just watching that magical transformation take place. When we do that and we listen to folks and form those relationships, we create an opportunity for them to truly unveil, unleash their gifts and talents in the workplace. Again, as you mentioned, whether it's on the front line as an assembly line worker and in, uh, on the plant floor all the way up to the C-suite, how is it that we are doing that so that folks, when they give of their gifts and talents in the workplace, they go home? actually fulfilled more because then that energy translates into healthier relationships at home as well. So you're exactly absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what, I love what you just said there, Erin, is it's, um, it's conversations and relationships and two things that we can easily, I'd say, take for granted or not pay much attention to in the workplace, right? We just, we get wired to deliver results and everything else around that becomes secondary. And again, I can't, I can't, I'm just, I was, I remember discovering Barry Waymiller and thinking, where has this been all my life? Like, how can I go work at this place? Um, So for, for anyone out there, uh, I encourage you to follow them on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Um, I don't know if there's an Instagram page. I haven't seen one there, but just the, the content that, uh, that you share and how you're, you're sharing all of these insights um, with the world is is just another example of, of bringing that conversation out to everybody. It's 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 wonderful. It's wonderful. Absolutely, absolutely. And we so appreciate it, uh, Carolyn, for sure. And folks would be able to you would be uh, able to access the Everybody Matters. Um, YouTube video that's out there. And uh, we do have an Instagram page, but yeah, there are several resources out there. Even, even our book, everybody matters. Um, The, the approach to caring for our team members like family and, and what it is that, that gets us to a place where our relationship fuels our productivity. And it's just how, how is it that you're able to have that harmony between a focus on people and realizing the profit of the business so that you can continue to grow the business, therefore influencing more folks coming into your culture? So, yeah, plenty out there to be able to access. Um, and, and, yeah, it helps forward the conversation for sure. Great. Now, and one of the things that I know you and I had talked about uh, previously outside of the podcast, uh, and I'd love to dig into that now a little bit, is this idea of conversations. And as we both know, um, conversations aren't always easy. uh, And sometimes we have to get into, well, not sometimes, oftentimes we have to get into (laughs) tough stuff. uh, And and let's put this into the context of work right now. So um, this idea of, of really having honest, true conversations, I mean, it's called radical candor, crucial conversations, call put whatever title you want on it, but those conversations that are meaty and tough and, 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 you know, Aaron, I know you're doing a lot of work in this area, um, specifically graduate work, uh, and, and would love to hear your thoughts around that and, and some of the work that you're doing there and some insights you could share. Absolutely. Again, appreciate the invitation very briefly, just as uh, background about 14 years ago, I, I took on an independent study project at the Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island, uh, to really dig into what I thought was a difference maker with the low-performing, average-performing, and high-performing teams. And for me, it became more and more clear that the teams I was on that were high, high high-performing teams, high-octane teams, we had a level of interrelationship that allowed us not waste time or energy balking around stuff and keeping things from each other. Rather, we had a relational foundation from which to just enter into every conversation. And almost, you had mentioned tough or difficult or crucial conversations, all the all the adjectives that are, <laughs> that are attached to whatever the conversation might be. How is it, folks, that we can actually just tee it up to where we're having conversations? Yeah. A relationship that just allows us to enter into it because everyone knows that I'm just humbly offering my perspective in the moment. And then that incites them to do the same. And they, and then we just excite that, that particular conversation, because that for me, 
the, the candor, humbly offering my perspective such that you're, you as the other are encouraged to do the same. That for me is the difference maker between high performing teams and low performing teams. Realize- and that's what you saw? That's what you saw in that research 14 years ago then? Yeah, absolutely. And that's for, for folks that might be doubting as listeners that it, 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 that is way oversimplified. Yes. But for me, one of the primary determinants between the two was the level of candor in those and on those high performing teams, because I, I was on some very low performing teams. And that's that's where folks withheld information. They backstabbed. They, it was manipulative. Those come out when, when, you, when we don't have the relationships that actually just drive talking about what needs to be talked about. So so basically, so basically, then what I'm hearing is low candor so not willing to have the tough conversations so like the surface type conversations yep. led to low productivity low accomplishment low correct. energy correct yeah mm-hmm. and low mission success so in in the operational navy um flying around i could actually correlate our uh, the some of the dysfunctions of our ability to interact with each other translated into uh, lower mission accomplishment. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Wow. So a direct result there. Great. So when yes, you, and where did that much. where did that lead you? So that was fourteen years ago. And where did that lead you? Yeah. Yeah. So throughout the the rest of my time uh, in the naval aviation community, uh, what I really tried to do was figure out how is it that I could I could help influence an environment with any team that I was on such that they knew what I was thinking, what I was talking about was was as, as straight stuff as it could be for me with my current lens, my current perspective, and then having that ignite the conversation in the volley among all of us and allowing everyone to share their diverse thoughts, opinions, perspectives, because then getting all of that out in the open now we have something to work with, and then that would shape the performance of the team. So could you give us an example uh, of that, Aaron, just to put it into context for people? Yeah, for sure. So so one example uh, is uh, a, an air crew um, team that I was on. Uh, I was specifically put on that that crew as a mission commander and instructor pilot to work with one of the pilots that we had in our squadron that was really struggling just with basic aviation performance. And they had been doing, they made it through flight school, they made it through the basic training for our our platform, our type of aircraft. And now they were in the fleet and they had been in the fleet for a year and a half. And they were trying to figure out what is it that we can help this person with, but no one no one wanted to, to come up with alternative options outside of the world of naval aviation. So over the course of an additional year that I was with this beautiful human being, uh, there were still some challenges due to stress in the airplane and the missions that we were asked to fly that it inhibited their ability to be able to truly realize their gifts and talents because it wasn't in the aviation world. So a year into this experience, as I've had the opportunity to, to absolutely cultivate the relationship with this person and, and figure out what it is that was really going on, I then made the recommendation to the squadron commander that this person was not fit for naval aviation. And I had this conversation initially with her based again on, on, on the year of performance to evaluate and then also one turn point moment on a particular mission that convinced me we need to figure out an alternative path for this human being to, to truly realize their gifts and talents. Uh, and when I approached them, I, I had shared what I had seen uh, because we had regular check-ins, obviously saw each other pretty much every day for that year. And then when I had actually approached them and said, just ask the question, what do you think uh, about a world outside of aviation? And this person broke down and just the the sense and sigh actually wow. of relief that someone finally asked them this question 
the stress over years of trying to become a, a naval aviator, which they were, they were a designated naval aviator, but in the operational world, there were just things that were inhibiting their ability to truly perform. And then the weight that was lifted, the alternative path that we were able to come up with for them, they have since left the naval aviation world. They went into foreign affairs and have flourished tremendously, speaking multiple languages, doing humanitarian work on behalf of the military, some educational opportunities, because we were able to get to know each other and get to a place where we just had a conversation about what the future might look like. So hopefully that, that's one example where we can we, we don't realize, I think sometimes in the moment, how, how, how a simple, seemingly simple question and, and just offering up perspectives can incredibly impact the life of another human being and set them up on a very different, very productive and healthy, fulfilling trajectory. And, and quite often it's those tough questions that we're afraid to ask. So I'm curious to know, were you, were you nervous in asking that question or like, how did you feel about asking that uh, Yeah, without a doubt. It is a great question. Even, even establishing a relationship, um, over that year and, and being through the ups and downs and twists and turns, it was even for me. Um, uh, typically, I, I, I'm, I'm an optimist, I'm idealist and, and have a tendency actually to, to sugarcoat a lot of things and figure out, hey, we can we can work through this. We can work with it. Uh, and I finally got to the point where, no, we need to have this portion of the conversation. Uh, and I did. I, I, I struggled with it in preparation for quite a bit. Uh, wrote a couple of different letters to myself for how this could 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 pan out to try to come up with how is it that we can just enter into the conversation and to now know that, that it was really what do you think about life out of outside of naval aviation that that is all it would have yeah. taken <laughs> I mean just the amount of effort so that was one example of a lesson learned by me. I, I think we all go through that, even with friends and family members and some of the struggles that folks will go go through. Uh, I'm not saying it is easy by any stretch, but that is one one time for me. This was about 10 years ago that that just shines so brightly. Hey, how is it that we can get to that point uh, as uncomfortable as it may be? Simple to say, hard to do. How can we triumph over that to just get into those types of conversations? Absolutely. And, you know, what comes to mind is uh, I, I spent 17 years in a in a system of performance management that, you know, could be honest. It could not be. I mean, a lot of the time it felt like a game. Um, but that's obviously where uh -huh. this idea of, of being really candid comes up. I'm sure people can identify with that immediately. Like, you know, having a real conversation with my manager or being the manager, having that real conversation with my boss. I think there's also room for this, too, when it when it comes to just in meetings and trying to problem solve together and not being afraid to ask some tough questions like, why are we doing this? Um, like things that seem really simple. Um, but yet if we don't stop and ask those simple questions and push through that, this, I guess, fear, um, it, the, 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 the outcome can be so different if we don't stop and do that. Uh, so, you know, I, I know that this has led you, I know your work has, has continued in this area. Um, and maybe you could you take us through the, the next part of your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, from there, because I was, I was comparing, you know, what, what is it, the difference between, uh, the, the spectrum of teams from low to high performing, but then also trying to look into what is the difference between the performance potential of a group. So how is it that they can work together to release their gifts and talents from you have, we, we, any group or assembled in have, have performance potential, but then there's a difference between the potential and what is actually realized as actual performance. So, so that really got me into further studying this, the inter interaction between human beings uh, Amy Edmondson's work on psychological safety, and to your point, even in meetings, there are things that are left unsaid because folks fear, we, sitting in those meetings, we fear certain things, whether it's retaliation, retribution, just the, the, the light 
uh, that someone is going to put on us, how they're going to think about us. There are so many things that occur in an instant that will convince us, no, this is not the time to speak up. How can we pop the top on that? It's really figuring out the, what are the relationships that we have on with each other so that we can talk about what needs to be talked about. And I love you bringing it into the fact that that it, it is really what is inhibiting us, what is prohibiting us in those moments that are the daily grind, yeah. daily meetings, daily sessions, daily one-on-one conversations, even water cooler stuff that that folks, we will we will hold back. So how is it that we can create the space that folks actually don't have to do that, don't have to uh, have to worry about that, um, which is a, a very, very heavy lift. But one one thing from from the research journey and that I can I continue to see play out, even when it comes to something as uh, as seemingly benign or simple as taking a survey or an assessment. So I think kind of to, to answer your question, at least in part, I'm actually looking at uh, the anonymity proposition for surveys and assessments. So we talked about conversations in, in meeting spaces and some fear there. there. There's obviously a huge concern for folks like organizations when they'll roll out an assessment or a survey and they want to ensure everyone has anonymity so that it, so that essentially the results of the survey or assessment can't not can't be weaponized essentially they can't be used for retaliation or retribution my baseline hypothesis even in this area is that if we afford folks to actually opt in and put their name to the survey on their own that i have preliminary findings that show that this hypothesis so my hypothesis is the more names that folks put in as an opt-in, the healthier the culture yes. and the higher the performing team. Because you have an element of that culture that the people, the members of that team, truly believe it is not going to be used against them. That's the exact environment that is the healthiest and the highest performing. So folks, as much as we talk about ensuring anonymity on surveys and assessments, or really anything for that matter, if folks feel free to opt in, that is an indicator of high psychological safety. That is an indicator of healthy performing and healthy performing organizations, teams, and healthy cultures. So even looking at it that way, that says volumes for the tone that the leadership folks are setting, the tone that the managerial levels are setting, and really the tone that, that, that folks at the front line think that they can live in and, and be productive. And there is a differentiator there. Yeah, and I, I would totally concur with, with your hypothesis. Um, you know, in, in, in the work that I do, I find there's a whole range between, of course, we're, we don't even need to be anonymous. What are you talking about? We're happy to share our opinions all the way through to people pulling me off to the side saying, um, uh, can you make sure like, I don't really believe that this is anonymous. Are you the one behind uh, <laughs> survey monkey or whatever tool it is that, that we might be yes. using? So it, it absolutely is an indicator. And, and this, this idea of opting in, in your research um, is an easy way to show it. It sounds like, you know, this, giving them the opportunity. Yeah, for sure. It's, 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 it's definitely not forced because the force piece then does end up showing itself with biased results. So it's not to do that, but it's actually just to see if this could be an indicator of healthy cultures. And yeah, the preliminary findings right in line with what you mentioned, say yes. And even so much so that just a, a brief anecdote with one of our clients that we've been with for uh, almost not quite two years the conversation and relationship that started with them actually was with the, uh, our candor survey. And it, it ended up unveiling what leaders needed to hear. And as visceral as it was for them to get into those results, it has now set them. So to date, the, the 18 months later removed from the survey results, they in that one uh, that year and a half time, 17,000 heart count or 17,000 member organization in that time span has realized a, a 21% reduction in turnover, and they've realized uh, an increase of 15% in their revenue. And they can tie it directly back to the results of that survey. It popped the top on what everyone was thinking but not talking about. And now the, the leaders 
working with their leadership and development team, what they have been able to do across their entire organization. And they're, they're, they're excited by these initial indicators for sure. But the more important part of this is that the members of their team truly believe they're starting to become uh, more cared for genuinely, then therefore they can send, send that care because of these candid conversations and building and deepening of relationships. They can work with the folks in their span of care in such a way that they are a little bit more fulfilled at work, which translates into being more fulfilled when they leave work uh, and spend time with friends and family. So it's really fascinating to see some of these, some of these elements come about that we, we know that there's a business case element out there for sure, which is what some some of the listening audience for sure and folks in leadership positions, those are hard numbers that 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 they can appreciate and then and then they can understand in that context and move forward. For uh, for us at the institute, it's the opportunity to work with clients to see how it is that they're actually working the harmony between people and realizing performance or profit and how that har- the, that harmony or virtuous cycle drives value creation and impact. So it sounds like something happened then 18 months ago um, that the leadership team realized they had to connect to the heart or like demonstrate this caring deeply in order to get the candor back from the employee base. Is that is that right? It's, it's interesting that I think that's one component of it. But this the way this actually materialized was our team at the Institute had an opportunity to work and administer, work with the leadership team, the executives of this of this organization, administer the candor survey. And then based on those results that catalyzed the conversation, raised their mm-hmm. level of awareness. And now they're off on this truly human leadership journey. Yep. And, and so the candor, um, was it anonymous or did people put their name on it? <laughs> so great question. Their leaders decided it would be completely anonymous. So now it will be interesting to see that they're removed. The, you know, a year and a half has gone by. We've had the opportunity to at, interact with this organization on multiple levels. They are starting to change behaviors and realize this cultural transformation. Uh, we're intrigued and excited for the next opportunity to take an, another another survey, another assessment, another sh- snapshot, essentially, and see if this could now be entertained as an option for opt-in and 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 let this potentially be another. Uh, you know, another preliminary finding for does even even that fact, which is a great question you ask, if they started and fully wanted the anonymity, even if we were to do it again, and they would say, yeah, let's put the opt in this time, that would be uh, a proxy or a measure of how far they've come as well. So it's making me, I'm kind of, kind of giggling to myself because I think of all the years I filled out employee engagement surveys and <laughs> it's anonymous. And I mean, that was a big thing. Like it's anonymous, it's anonymous. And I mean, even now with some clients, they want to ensure the anonymity and think it's a sacred part of the process. And in fact, what we're saying here is, it isn't. I mean, by by continuing to perpetuate this anonymity aspect of employee engagement, we are just kind of keeping things status quo and not really um, having the radical candor that we need to move things forward. Totally. And that's really the impetus behind not just my passion for the concept and, and how we can realize it, but you, you hit it precisely. The, the irony there is we need anonymity to get into offering up what we think is the truth in our perspective. How about we just figure out a way, again, easy to say, hard to do. How is it we can create a culture and an environment within which we don't have to worry about that anymore and we're just able to offer up our perspectives full face in the absence of anonymity, I'm just, I am passionate about this. I want to get better. Let's talk about it. I'm happy to put my name to it. The long way to go for most companies to do that because of all the inner workings that going back to what we had mentioned before, the fear, the individualized fear that folks have that if I offer this up and they know I did it, something will come back to me. So my, 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 my hope is uh, and, and my my drive is toward how can we eliminate that, create the psych- psychologically safe environment 
so that folks don't have to expend energy on the worry and the fear and just have those conversations so that we're, we're letting those daily conversations without fear drive the performance and in our interactions. And then we can get into these more challenging conversations that really help us innovate and be more creative and problem solve in a much richer, deeper capacity. Precisely, because we aren't wasting time holding things from each other. We're actually investing time in the space of just hearing everybody out, get all the ideas out there. Let's have, and, and, and even with that over time, the proposition would then be the more frequently we're able to do that, the less hard, quote unquote, hard or crucial or difficult conversations we even have to have because now we're addressing them in a manner that's just a new normal. And, and, and perhaps we're able to prevent some of those hard or, or uh, crucial conversations because we're talking about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, I mean, I have to bring up Brene Brown's work right now because it just, it's, yes. it's such a, a great fit. And, you know, the whole thing, courage is contagious. And, and the fact that her research is now showing that we can learn courage and, you know, the four different elements, she talks about it. And um, I know it's helped me out immensely personally and professionally that, you know, when you can dig into that courage, and have that tough conversation, it, it really is contagious. And it's, it's a big reason why I'm really starting to shift my belief that, I shouldn't say shift my belief, but uh, to add on to my belief that culture can change from the bottom up. It's an and. I know that that culture is is very much um, impacted by what goes on at the top, but at the same time, if we can find the courage to have these more challenging conversations and connect better with people, man, we can change a lot of stuff from the bottom up. We can get better results and and just the way our, our, our organizations are set up now there's more team-based activity and i mean you can make decisions faster so to me it's it's uh it's a real catalyst like courage is a catalyst to help us unlock all the great potential that's just tied up and and hidden right now yeah without a doubt and and i would actually uh uh, I, i would put forward for folks consideration that it's even required and what i mean by that is there are points even uh, so there's one one of our clients uh that we have really a, a a huge team and what we've done with them for the last couple of years is is also on a cultural transformation journey the offerings and interactions that we have with this particular client have now matriculated. So we started with the executives and we've moved through the upper level managers and it's getting closer and closer to the front line. And to your point, what we have seen is that there are pockets of goodness for folks that have been through those sessions, they've had those interactions and learned, and they are now demonstrating those behaviors. But there's a good chunk of folks that have been through these shared experiences that have not changed their behavior. And now we're starting to go through this journey with folks hierarchically that are that are uh, in their direct spans of care, lower down in the hierarchy, that they know that their direct leaders have been through this these offer these shared experiences, these training and development sessions, and they aren't seeing it. And now that they've been through it, they're frustrated because their leader is not showing it, but they have a passion for it and want to do it. So that's why I say now our conversations with them are what's stopping you from doing that? You've both been through the through the shared experiences. Have a coffee about the common language you should now have both having been through it for how you can work together to continue the building the momentum for this cultural change. So you had mentioned that it can be a catalyst. What we're seeing in some organizations is because of the inconsistency of behavioral change for folks that have all been through the same training. They need actually the front line is, is, is now hopefully inspired to have those conversations to turn, hit that tipping point and truly turn on this cultural transformation journey, because that's what's going to be required to then have the ripple effect to go back hierarchically up to the top executives of the organization. So you say courage is a catalyst. It absolutely is. 
in these instances, because there is so many folks that hold on to the status quo, it's required by folks from the front line to have these interactions uh, to truly, truly uh, nudge against the comfort of status quo. Uh, Hopefully that makes sense. Oh, it, it absolutely does. And I think really what we're saying is even if you aren't a manager, um, you have a ton of power. And I find that people can assume that they don't hold any power or influence because they don't have a title. And and I believe what you're saying there is, no, you have a ton of influence and you can be a catalyst. And in fact, we need you to be a catalyst to help those managers push through the fear of showing up differently or applying some of those learnings without a doubt because if they're doing it at the front line then at some point the manager that may be trying to maintain status quo has really two choices they can now begin to change their behavior as well because that's what the folks in their direct span of care are doing or if they determine it's not for them they can go find another team because it's, it's just a level of momentum that has now attracted the attention that they are now in a position to have to make that decision. Uh, so that, again, is, is what continues to perpetuate the transformation proposition, because as you and I did speak about uh, uh, before in our last conversation, we realized that this absolutely takes time. And this is one of the big reasons for why the cultural transformation proposition does take so much time. And the other, the other thing, too, to this that I just think it's fascinating that you have this research and evidence to show that is I'm a big believer in the power of permission. So I've had some of my own personal experiences with that and and also professionally. And then reading more into Brene's work, um, the power of giving ourselves permission um, and also giving others permission. And so it's like as as employees or direct reports, we can give our managers permission to try something different, to show up a little bit differently, and that it's okay. Um, You know, I think that's so powerful. It's not just top down. So you've just added more fuel to my belief there, Aaron. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're most welcome. Yeah, and the permission piece, uh, because I'm I'm following right along with you, uh, even in the form of uh, feedback, communications, and guidance from the standpoint that when, when we when we ask others for feedback for us, when we even show that, giving them permission to offer us guidance, regardless of position, regardless of place in hierarchy, actually having those conversations, even neurobiologically influ- influence us in ways that help deepen our relationship, which then means that it's easier for us to even have feedback conversations, whether that's 30 seconds where, where we, we come out of a meeting, hey, that was great, or hey, this is what I saw. I think you might benefit from this note from, you know, this is a recommendation I have for your consideration. When we tee up those types of exchanges on a regular basis, it definitely is, it's permission for all of us to continue to learn, to, to continue to fail at the small scale, so that that level of learning ends up building up the team, empowering others, inspiring others, and inspiring ourselves. So the permission piece is, is it can show up in different ways, but you're absolutely right. So what what is uh, interesting about this to me is that, um, you know, these things that we've talked about, these behavior changes, um, don't seemingly cost a lot of money, right? We have the training programs and such, uh, and what, like, what gets in the way for people, do you think, in, in, in your work there with the Leadership Institute? What, what helps people push through that and um, be able to transform or apply what they're learning? Like, how can we change things? Because, I mean, we're continuing to do the same thing year after year after year, collectively as a whole in organizations. Like, something has to give, Right. Absolutely. And you're right, because a lot of a lot of the things we talk about uh, and and offer up, uh, believe it or not, are actually almost free. Yeah. Telling people thank you and, and, and saying great job. Yes, that do it again. That costs a minute of our time. 
we it's, it's interesting because we go back and forth and so I'll, I'll add something there in just a second but the for us where we start is actually to start simply because it can be incredibly overwhelming i think that's one of the things is that we 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 can get in a rut when we think man there's so much to change i don't even know where to begin and then when mm-hmm. we start talking about it we kind of uh, hamstring ourselves because it is so uh, overwhelming so we we encourage folks through these shared experiences in our consultation to pick one thing. What is, you know, what, what right now is your current greatest process or system frustration? And just get, get a spattering of ideas from the group of people in the room. If it's 40 folks, you will, even in those 40 folks, going and asking them that one question will surface some things that can be now bucketed into themes. And then, so when you pick one or two of those themes, start to think on what it is, if it's a good theme, what is it that you could do more of that would help support doing more of that? If it's, if it's something to improve on, to do a little bit better, now we're having a conversation about that one frustration that we could do this, this, and this to move forward to make it a little bit better. And then to to our point, talking about diversity of thought and perspectives, if we can create a space that allows folks to voice their current frustration, we have 40 folks in the room, maybe of those 40, we land on three big themes. Maybe one of them is a totally different way to think about doing business. Then now let's follow up with that one conversation that feels doing one thing just a bit differently. And then go run with that. And, and that's what we have found has really resonated with the teams that have been able to one, – one of those huge barriers is just being overwhelmed with everything we could do. But it's really figuring out how can we shape the conversation to land on something that we could – low-hanging fruit that we could address tomorrow. And then after we've addressed that, let's build on that momentum to address something that maybe it's going to take us a couple months to do. And then once we do that, what is it that, hey, if we're doing something different, this is going to be a heavy lift, but let's put some energy into this for the next year. And now we start to create the the continued conversation so we don't peter out by trying to tackle everything. Uh, and, And the great place to start, which is, I think, a part of what you were getting at as well is the things for free recognize the folks that never yeah. get recognized that first, like truly try to get away from the busyness of the day and actually focus on the one person that you just haven't said yeah. thank you to in a while. And if you could see something in them that, that you appreciate and give them, how it makes you feel, the behavior that they are demonstrating and the impact that is having on your life, the team, your team's lives or your organization, share that with them a couple of minutes of your time and, and let that start to build. Wow. They really do care for me. Those are the types of conversations that truly, other than the investment of time are completely free and aren't done anywhere near as often as they should be. And they unlock so much. I know every time that I have used that activity or, or engaged in, in, a, in a way with, uh, with people like that, I'm always surprised at what I hear back from people, what my impact has been. And, and they're quite often surprised at the impact that their comments have had. You know, yes. things can have an, a, you know, an impact. And it's, it's not for us to, the way I look at it is it's not for me to judge what is going to be good or or not good for somebody to hear. You just have to put it out there and trust that it will impact somebody in a positive way. If you come at it with a positive intent. Precisely. Positive intent is huge. And then what happens is when we continue to nurture, cultivate, build on, deepen the relationships, more and more folks are likely to assume that we're coming in to both the the appraisal appreciative elements as well as the developmental elements that we're absolutely coming from it 
with positive intent. We care for them and for us and our team. And by doing so, we can talk across that spectrum to make everybody, literally everybody better. Yeah. Because wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it, through one-on-ones uh, in, in, in these groups, like in our, in our teams, in our groups. Um, yeah, it's just, it has a phenomenal impact uh, all around. Um, one last thought that I'd like to tap into before we wrap things up is sure. how much time, I mean, I know we've both made comments throughout our conversation here, but it takes a long time for a cultural transformation. Um, and it can take a period of time. I get it to build up uh, a deep sense of psychological safety. However, um, the, you know, the teams that we work on aren't always together for long periods of time. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how can we, be efficient with um, creating a space that uh, nurtures the psychological safety? Great question. Uh, the While we know cultural transformation takes time because it's a, a proposition of there are folks that will be, believe in it right away and embrace the change right away. Those folks, while leading the effort, it it still takes time to get the folks that are perfectly comfortable in the status quo, what they've come to know, how they've operated for years. It will take some convincing there. And because of that, there's still even more after that that want to see it demonstrated before they hop in. And so we realize and acknowledge that there is that temporal or time component. But to your point, there are things that we can do in very short order and even building on uh, Brene's work and others for showing the vulnerability in the moment that that what is it that's going to fuel relationships that allow that team building sense of team building coming together, collaborating, doing that to then, we can't short circuit really the momentum building, the law of diffusion of innovation, adoption, those type elements that are human behaviors that, again, it's back to the time component. But there are certainly behaviors that myself, as the direct leader of however many folks in, in the span of care, there are things that I can do and change my behavior that then disproportionately influence the behavior of those in the span of care. So there are absolutely things that we can do if I'm someone that doesn't normally say thank you to someone. And because I'm thinking, wow, you know what? I, I, as positive as I am, there are times where I, I feel I don't have time. I feel I, I'm just in, inundated with the business of the day. So if I make a conscious effort, I would like to thank one person each week. And I don't normally do that. But now I'm going to, if I can commit to that and demonstrate that, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's in the presence of some other folks, once people start to see those minor changes in behavior, they're inspired to start doing the same. I think that it, it's, it's a combination of, we acknowledge there is a time component to it. However, there's nothing stopping us from changing something today that can influence tomorrow and get it going because those elements really can help in influencing the folks that we are around and that we touch every single day. Because if, if we acknowledge that all culture is local, it has to start somewhere. So why not me being vulnerable in the moment, pick one thing to adjust, allow folks to start seeing that they start jumping in with it. And now we're on that cultural transformation journey. Is, is that helpful, Carolyn? I love it. I think it, it, you know, we don't, we, we just met a few weeks ago by phone. Uh, but really, I mean, <laughs> everything you've talked about is everything that I wrote about in my, well, not everything, but uh, a lot of what I wrote yes, about yes. in my book and, and what, uh, you know, PWE, the purpose workplace experience. I, I just love the statement that you said there, why not me? Um, so we can all create 
a workplace experience. We all have the ability and the power to do that. And, and I just love what you've said. Why not me? And I, I hope today through this conversation um, that we've inspired uh, people out there to take those small steps, right? It's not, it's not a huge, doesn't have to be a huge transformational change, but those small incremental steps absolutely can lead up to it. And it makes us feel better. It allows us to take home more energy at the end of the day to our friends and family, which is ultimately what most of us want, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, Aaron, I think we could probably talk for hours and I would, uh, I would love to, uh, you know, perhaps there's another podcast insight, you and I taping uh, another one at some point down the road, don't you think? would be a pleasure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I think we're, we're going to wrap this one up for now. So thanks to everyone for listening. And thanks again, Erin, for, for coming on and telling us about all the great work at Barry Waymiller and uh, also the great work that you're doing. And uh, any, any last words um, for, for the audience out there? Well, first, Carolyn, thank you so much. Again, uh, humbled to be invited for this and continuing the conversation. Uh, and then for, for the listening audience, It's just really, uh, as we see a call to serve, figuring out how is it that we can best serve ourselves and others by having the candid conversations that will allow each of us to create value by encouraging the release of our gifts and talents in ways that really we may not have even been able to imagine before because we're talking about it, offering up our perspectives and continuing those conversations. So again, humbled to join you today, Carolyn. Look forward to the next one. uh, And thank you so, so much. Beautiful. Well, thanks to everyone out there and we'll see you on our next episode. in hearing more about PWE? Well, I'd welcome you to buy my book, Rules of Engagement, Building a Workplace Culture to Thrive in an Uncertain World. I share stories, personal and professional, about different elements of PWE, and it's available on Amazon or on Indigo. Thanks to all of you out there. This is why we do this. This is why we have this conversation. We look forward to being with you again on our next PWE and Me podcast. Now, the best way you can hear us is to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes. And if you don't like either one of those two, you can always go to my website at carolynswara.com.